You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. What's up, Schmohawks? Schmohawk is what Larry David likes to call bad drivers on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Says he got it from his dad. I was reminded of that by Logan Kale, who's been on the show a few times. Thank you, Logan. And thank you guys, the rest of you, for sending in nickname suggestions. Now, I got to say, I'm in Seattle. This is the best weather possible. People knock on Seattle's weather, but it's 930 at night. It's not dark yet. It's been perfect temperature all day, and everybody else in the country is dealing with all this hot, the humidity, the bull crap. And yes, I live in Seattle, and a crappy house costs half a million dollars, and no, I can't afford one, but it's so cool here. You guys got to come. You, there's smart, intelligent, creative, cool people. The weather's great. You, you got to do it. There's no reason to stay in Joplin, Missouri, Missoula, Montana, Las Cruces, New Mexico, Abilene, Texas, Lakeland, Florida, whatever. You guys need to uh, save $300 like I did, move to Seattle, start a band and a media empire, and record stuff in your wife's closet. What else would you want to do? In fact, I'll give you step one for success. Go to badchristian.com forward slash internships because we have some shows. We have this show. We have Break It Down. There's Free Sex. There's other shows we're going to be launching. We need some interns that want to learn the entertainment business, the broadcast business, and we're going to assign some people to those shows to learn what we do, work with us directly, and help us accomplish some stuff. So go to badchristian.com forward slash internship if you have any skills, ability, digital marketing, broadcast, communications, whatever it is. We could use some people that could spend some time and learn some stuff, build their resume, get experience. Much better than college. Badchristian.com forward slash internships. For example, the Bad Christian Podcast, my show, I just had Bo from Sayosin who mixed our album on there. Great episode. Go listen to it. I need some help with that show. If you want to work with me, go go do that. But please, check out my other podcast. It's at breakitdownpod.com. Okay, y'all get it? All right, hit it, Toby. Matt, are you ready? Ready. Joey, are you ready? Yeah. Engineer <laughs> Brett, are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Joey, drop some knowledge on these mothers. M is for male. U is for unisex. G is for girls. We back up in this mug. It's the big Christian pool Welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast, everybody. As Toby just noted, we are here with Engineer Brett. You know what that means for me? I've been upgraded out of the closet, and I'm actually in a studio, and we have an engineer, so I don't have to worry so much. Well, I mean, studio, oh, I don't mean, you're in Brett, your your buddy Brett's garage. (laughs) No, Engineer Brett owns a studio, and I'm at a studio right now. I mean, what, where is it actually at? Your buddy, I mean, come on, it's your buddy Brett. He, well, he owns garage. some property and he has on no, his home. Matt, you're in your buddy Brett's garage. No, well, the, it it was formerly a garage before it was a studio. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Prince, formerly Prince. I mean, th- but, I mean there's, no, there's no cars it parked in here is. or anything. I mean, there's microphones and computers and stuff. Okay, yeah, man, it's awesome. It's like a state of the art. <laughs> it's better than my studio. other studio. It's better than my wife's closet. And best of all, I don't have to worry about technical bullshit. That means I'm free to clown around instead of babysitting stuff. Oh, you can act stuff. a fool that on means this I month. can act a fool during the podcast and not have to worry about everything else. 
Finally, yeah. man. I, I mean, one thing I've always said about Matt, he can act a fool. I can act. And a he fool. has not been able to act a fool freely. I got no responsibility. And now the only thing that I don't like still is I'm on an earlier time zone than y'all, so it drives me crazy when I'm up here in the middle of the morning or afternoon and oh, I hear y'all man. clanking around beer bottles and refrigerators over there because it's too early for me to drink and y'all get to have beer during the podcast. So that's Hold driving on, me a little bit this. crazy. See if you can hear this. <laughs> Matt, Matt, to make now, hey, hold on, I want to say something real quick. To make matters worse, it's Miller highlight. Oh man, the king of beers, right? Isn't no, the, the champagne of beers. Of beers. Champagne, the of beers. Cha- champagne of beers. Um, here's the thing that interesting happened. Joey comes in and brings a 12 pack of beer, and it's the greatest beer. One Singing the- Michael W. Smith <laughs> and a friend's a friend forever, and it's one of the greatest if beers. The, the champagne the of beer, Miller High Life, right. which we highly. I mean, we are total. Light beer guys, right? I mean, it, it almost feels... I like them all. You guys are more light than me. I like it all. But I love light beer. But I mean, why did you buy that light beer? It was seven ninety nine. I know. 12. So that's what I'm saying. So there has to be some... In your calculations, it has to mean something that is cheaper. Like you didn't buy a six-pack that was thirteen ninety nine. Yeah, but it was mainly a kind gesture to you, and I knew you liked it. And if it's seven ninety nine for one of your favorite beers, but I mean, why, wouldn't, win, win. why wouldn't you do something really nice and buy a six-pack of something nice? Because you don't care about nice beers. I know. You know me too well. <laughs> um, anyway, so so we open Did up. you have to get whispery just now? <laughs> yeah, he's proving a point. Yeah, I was just trying to prove a point. So we, we open up the 12-pack, drink two beers. I go back in to get Joey and I another beer, and a a bottle or two is broken inside there. And so uh-huh. basically it broken before Joey bought it. Somehow the bottles had gotten broken. So now, Matt, I don't know how to reconcile that. Should we take back the half-empty 12-pack and say we want a refund mm-hmm. or what? Because, I, mean, I mean, we drank some of the beers. Right. And so what the do worst you do part in this being, situation? Well, you're locked right now because you're in the middle of something and you need the rest of those beers. So I mean, we can't make their end of this podcast without it. Right. I'm so not going to make you it don't to have the a choice but to drink. You don't have a choice. You start with, you know, needs first and you don't have a choice but to finish the rest right. of the beers. Now, maybe you can take the two broken ones down and and just get those two back, but you but you know, first things first, you have to hmm. drink the beer you have because you have to. But my question is, won't they think that we just broke them or we just dropped it or whatever that is? I mean, it's just it, that we're, we're kind of screwed. Like, I, I feel like if we could have opened the 12-pack and showed, hey, this bottle was broken, I just want to re- return it and get a full 12-pack. But I think yeah, that would have been easier. I think we're done. So Yeah, I think, basically, you, I think it's a loss. Yeah. So basically, we're screwed. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I don't know if and, – and honestly, the, to our listeners, thank you guys for listening. I don't, I don't know if we're, I'm, uh, I'm going to make it to yeah, the Yeah, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the, next, the next 40 minutes or so will be good, but when the beers run out, the, the, la- the end of this podcast is yeah. not ex- predicted to go well. Matt, have you ever seen Joey like when we did a podcast and he wasn't drinking? It was really scary. Yeah, it was scary. It almost like it was like yeah. it was mean and hateful. Yeah. Like I mean, it was actually like a, a guy that I'm don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't want him around my. Kids. Hey, real quick, I don't want to. <laughs> hey, re- you talking about me Joey being... hates this kind of joking. Yeah, by the way. Get out no, the yeah, let me change this. Yeah, yeah, get real, real quick, quick. Uh, not, not about drinking. <laughs> about what alcohol? Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, always. You drink. do. You you think that people are going to think that you're an alcoholic? Oh, you didn't say it. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. You didn't say anything. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> you didn't say anything just you now think, that was alarming at all, though. Like, if I you, mean, you were changing the subject because you just can't go along with no, this line I, of joke. We're no, joking. I, we're not. I, no, I heard mean and hateful, and I want to tell you guys that I saved a damn dog. You saved a dog. I this saved time? a dog. 
I mean, you injured it at first, though. I'm rebuilding. You injured it, and then you saved it. Altered no, listen, personality. listen. I stopped the car. I saw a wiener dog running out of a townhouse, and I knew that. Don't make fun dog. of the dog. Yeah, well, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> okay, cool. So I stopped the car, and I made sure that I got that dog returned to its owner. The owner was freaking wow. out because the dog kept running. I said, "I got it. I got it." And get this. I was on the way to meet Toby to get a free donut day at Krispy Kreme. So I put the dog before donuts. Holy cow. Now, the only thing that I will admit yeah. is when I finally picked the dog up, all I was worried about was the dog smelling or peeing on me. If it smelled you, that would have been real bad? No, it did smell, but I still got the dog back to its owner. I mean, so your I'm only resource to catch now. the dog, though, is you, you kick the dog to make it stop running <laughs> away, right? <laughs> I saved a dog, man. I don't know if I believe the story. Sorry. You think I just made that up? You hate animals. I don't hate it's animals. It's been proven. I mean, this is well I love you. You're my pastor. I know you care about people. You want to hurt most domesticated. It's well documented. I'm sorry. It's not funny either, but it's, I'm sorry. No, no, no. All right. So what's going on with you guys? I, I, I mean, Joey, do you have anything that you want to talk about? Matt, do you have anything that you want to talk about? Well, I, I wanted to sh- say thank I you to everybody. I got a shitload of things to talk I about. I got a shitload too, Toby. I was happy that the people have been buying, uh, not buying, I'm sorry. I'm happy that people are downloading for free the Free Sex Podcast. That's going mm. well. I saw them just uh, above number, I think they're about number 17 on the Christianity charts, which I think nice. is, yes. is very cool to see. So thank everybody for checking that out. Uh, go download it another time or two. We'll see if we can get up there and make uh, Free Sex beside Joel Osteen on the charts up there. Oh, that would be so amazing. <laughs> I'd love to see Joel Osteen and then Free Sex and then Joyce Meyer. That would just be just like one of my dreams. Yep, that would be good. So, and then you know the other thing that's related to something we were talking. I got two related things to the last show to last sometime last week to talk about, and that is, I want to take a special time to call attention to Pacific Gold's vinyl. That thing is pretty. That thing is beautiful. It yep. sounds good. That album is good. And we started, you know, getting into a band in Kansas and Emory. And we, some people may have forgot that we have this Pacific Gold record out, and it really is good. Uh, it's hymns and stuff, psychedelic hymns on vinyl. What could be better than that? And the reason I have to bring that up is, like I told y'all, we're in the middle of our financial redoing thing right. that we discussed previously. Well, it turns out that the, fine, the, the amount of money it costs to make vinyl can put you in a, in a hole. So, oh, well, that's so, kind of just the saddest news that yeah. you could have told us and kind of a bum out for our podcast. I know. So that's one thing. That's one area where I've found that we're maybe a little delinquent. And that, I mean, vinyl really is expensive and we love doing it and we're glad to do it. It's not a mistake, you know, like that, but it's, it's vinyl is very expensive. It's five or $6,000 to get it printed and shipped. And then Yeesh. not to mention sending it out to the, shipping out to the people and all that kind of thing. So yeah, just thank don't you tell for everybody my wife that this bought story. it. Thank you. Thank you for all the people that, that bought it, and we're glad that we could make a Pacific Gold vinyl exist, but we'd really be thrilled if you bought it for somebody for Father's Day or something. Oh, man, would we ever. <laughs> like, I mean, my kids are hungry, they're growing, whatever it could take. You know, we want to support music and also our families. So. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad would totally love the Pacific Gold vinyl CD for Father's Day. But I am enjoying getting into our financials and getting things squared away, and it's not like I didn't really know this or that, whatever, but it's, it's nice knowing that we have a really good really good team and i think our our position is going to be in pretty good shape once we get everything organized and moving forward so thank you to everybody all the support we get from all the different methods from you know advertising to bc club to people buying you know music and stuff that we help release and sell so it's going good i really am proud we're of not our, going out of business it doesn't look like right i'm really proud of thank our bad God. christian music lineup man i mean 
it just really is kind of cool to like I get to be a part of this. You know what I'm saying? Like I've y'all y'all talk about me as the music guy, just always been into music. You know, the tooth and nail guy and all that stuff. And now I, I actually get to be a part of a process of and and very little hands-on i mean if anything i have the benefit of sitting back and just kind of watching it happen maybe giving mm-hmm. some input here and there but it's just cool man i mean pacific gold that is a really really awesome album and then a uh, band in kansas the emory album's okay and then classic crime uh-huh it's just unbelievable yeah and i mean just to tell our our listeners and people that have supported it this is probably the last vinyl you'll ever get from Pacific Gold, so make sure you get well, from BC Music entirely. Yeah, from BC Music entirely. So make sure you get this vinyl because I mean it's going to be really rare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, but any any bands out there, if you're interested in uh, the lineup volume two, we've uh, lineup volume one is compilation, bunch of different bands, some signed, some not, some bad Christian artists, some Tight. not, but. Uh, the submission here is is going to be more of an electronic slant. Am I right, Matt? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, turn in some music. electronic music. Yeah, music that doesn't require a guitar or, or a skill. real drum. Yeah, yeah. You just turn on the computer, and there you go. <laughs> yeah, you can make your computer make it for you, right? For sure. So. All right, Matt, I thought there was a couple other things that you wanted to tell us about. Oh, no. Well, the only other one is if we've gotten through, you know, you got to power through a decent amount of light talk before you do anything serious. So I'm trying, I'm making sure we've got that, that part covered because I did, I wanted, because I got, I got some response. We got some response from the, the Mark Driscoll depression. Well, let me cover you real quick. Vagina, balls, (laughs) big old, big old balls. (laughs) I told you I could act a fool. Hey, there. All right, now let's get serious. Hey, real, okay. real quick, I do want to tell you all this, that there was a, uh, remember the story that I told you about the girl that I bought pizza and a Coke for, and I felt bad because she was overweight? There was a right. girl that actually wrote, and she was very nice about it, but she corrected me, kind of admonished me for making the assumption that this girl had an eating problem, and that's why she was heavy. The only thing I was like, okay, you're making good points, but she did have a pizza and a big thing of Coke, but she went into all these medical reasons. I mean, there's... It seems like there's hundreds of reasons of why people could be overweight and not necessarily have an overeating problem. But I, it is funny that you're talking about a larger person and you won't even give them like credit for buying like a two liter. You call it a big thing of Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a person can't even buy a drink. Like they buy a big thing of Coke. <laughs> So do you All retract? Right, Matt, get, do you retract your your deal about fat do you shaming? Feel bad? I, I I do think that. I should be more sensitive, certainly, uh, definitely, because there's probably some fat people listening. <laughs> oh my lord! <laughs> Did he laugh Joey. when he said that? <laughs> yes, he cracked himself up. He's acting a fool. He's acting a fool. <laughs> no, I mean, all, no, all, that's all joke. All joking aside, I mean, they're all joking aside. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Sorry, this reminds you're done. me of the. That's some it. people require big things of Coke. <laughs> Joey, we get it. This reminds me of the ocean baptism where the guy was swiped out to see I couldn't recover. But no, I mean that in all sincerity that, that, I mean, being overweight is a very sensitive issue because people do automatically assume something out of you that may not be true. That's and true. I do know people that are overweight, and it's not because they just go crazy yeah. at Dunkin' Donuts every sure. Well, we so. have not earned our stripes on the Bad Christian Podcast and become an, this empire that we have for from being right. overly sensitive and careful, and proof of right. that being 
Toby's big bold uh, rant and and what what basically amounts to courage for talking about Mark Driscoll on yep. the show a couple Thursdays ago. I'm like the Bruce Jenner of Christianity. Exactly. Go ahead, Joe. He's a revolutionary ahead, hero. Now, here is what I fi- found really interesting about it is uh, like like I, like in the episode you could tell I was uncomfortable. I didn't know we were going to go there. Of course, I have a million thoughts and stuff about it too. On one hand, I thought it was funny because I literally had people that I think thought that was me talking and it was actually Toby. So a lot of people were telling me that was courageous, but I told you, Toby, I thought it was relatively courageous as well. And then I got some uh, several people that messaged me and talked to me through the week. You know, here in my community, that were just really really happy. Um, that that we did that on the show, that that was covered, that that was said, and it needed to be said yeah. and everything. So here's what was interesting about it was it came from people who I kind of was under the impression that they were maybe p- potentially loyal to Driscoll or thought that was bad to be that way or people. And in fact, several people who stayed at Mars Hill through the whole thing and then are even at the churches today that are still there. And so it really makes me want to explain to all the other people, because you see all the comments of people say, but what did he even do? Plus, he said he was sorry. So there you go. Didn't you hear what happened or whatever? How do you know he's not repentant? How do you know this? That's the the, the big attitude that you get from outside people. And I think it just has to be noted and known that even the people that have stayed in Mars Hill in a large majority of or a lot of them and are in these remaining churches, they still are glad that you said what you said. They still agree with you, except for they. a lot of them made the caveat they don't agree with the language that you used. But, <laughs> but they were glad that you said what you said. And so I think that's really interesting because I was like, oh, I thought you, I thought this person that I have a relationship might be mad at me for that. And I found that across the board. Everybody here in Seattle is like, oh, will I be seen as a bad guy or a hater if I say what my experience is or what I think or what I think is wrong? And it's yeah. just, it's been insane to see that, oh, yeah, that's the opinion that you shared, Toby, boldly, most people hold quietly and don't want to say. And so that should mean something to all the people that are asking me, but how do you know or what is this or that, whatever? So there's like three kinds of people, basically. There's people that, if this tells you anything, this is just kind of the facts, the way I see them. You, you have the kind of people who, over the whole time of Mars Hill, which I was there for 10 plus years, since 2004, all my spiritual growth, everything has been there. All the people I've ever respected and been in leadership right. with or done anything with above me were there, and they're amazing people. Well, they slowly left because of uh, vague reasons that turns out to be the stuff that eventually always came out about the culture or whatever. So those people uh, had enough problems with him and the way things went down and the way the culture was shaped that they couldn't even be there anymore. And these are the the people that everybody that I and everybody else looked to and respected, and they never made a big deal about it. They just left kind of quietly over time. Then there was the second group is the people that all left when they – Stuff kind of broke, like just the general church members and the decrease in attendance and people that were seeing the the news newsy kind right. of stuff and left at that time. And those people obviously had a problem with the way things were being done on their local level enough to leave their churches that we that people like me and all these other people have put their whole life into. We've done everything. We've given everything there. That we would never leave that lightly. I would do anything to not have left for it not to have fallen apart. That's what I would right. have wanted. But right. eventually. Eventually, each of us reaches a point where you go, oh, well, I just can't be doing this anymore. And then you feel guilty when, when you do it. And then the benefit of the doubt goes to right up the chain to, oh, poor Mark, which is the card he's playing now. Yeah, and yeah. so then there's the people that stayed and uh, 
even the people that stayed are the people, even in leadership, that tried to hold him accountable and said, we, we, you need to step down for now and then enter a restoration plan and be under accountability just like you yeah. talk about, just like you preach or whatever. And even those people that stayed through all that and had that in mind for him, for him, his restoration and accountability, those people still, he, he, he rejected that, that plan. And th- thus, those people even still feel like he is not repentant. He did not deal with, he is avoiding. And now what he's done is go find a whole nother, just a whole nother sets of people that simply just don't know the story. So now yeah. everybody, right. but everybody that has story, been involved man. all the way around. No, they don't. I mean, people don't. No, they don't. I mean, it, it's, it, it's just, it's our, it's our society right now in our culture of you only care about something for a couple of minutes. So people heard about it. And then if he comes, if he shows up at your conference or your festival or your church and says, "No, it wasn't that's this true. way," that's not, that's what you think. So and, the only point you, I'm trying just, to make is not to even drag him down further, but there has to be. I realized that when these other people in solidarity to me said, "Oh, I'm glad y'all said something," because that's the way we feel too. I'm thinking, "Oh, wait a minute." At, at some point, I thought maybe it's just me, and that's what. Yeah. Oh yeah, guess what? That's what everybody involved must have been thinking and still thinks. So if it makes me sound a little bit bad or mudsling, I'm not doing that. I'm saying I know that all the people from the people that left years ago to a year ago to the people that stayed now and wish that he would have done things right, everybody seems to be pretty much in agreement that's involved. So to the general public outside of that, that should tell you something. I don't know about how you exactly do the church discipline and what's right and what he heard and exactly what happened, but but anybody that threw rocks at him or did those things, that's not us. That's yeah. not. That's other people. That's something else. That's that's a different issue. And that's not yeah. not true. But I feel like if that would have been any of us, you know, the the, ch- the culture would have said, "Well, you got to stand tough. You got to stick yeah. it out. You got to trust I think that's Jesus." A good point, you got to whatever. Like I saw, <clears throat> I saw Sunday where Brian Houston. I know that's a name that a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know, but Hillsong, Hillsong is guy. monstrous name in the Christian uh, culture, and he's the head pastor. Of that older dude, probably in his late six, uh, early 60s, and so they weren't even having him as a speaker. They were having him in an interview sort of format, and uh, Brian Houston was going to just ask him questions about his past at Mars Hill, where he's at now, and all that stuff, and basically how they worded it was very politically uh, correct, but it was like after uh, yep. Pastor Brian Houston talked to Driscoll personally, face-to-face, he's deciding against having that, and it's he said something along the lines of, yeah, I'm looking forward to keeping in contact with Mark and seeing his progress and all that yep. stuff. Right. How I read it as he got in a room with someone face-to-face, and he's old enough and wise enough to be like, this dude hasn't changed anything. Yeah. Like, yep. he, hasn't, he hasn't recanted, he hasn't well, repented or anything. Yeah. Well, one, one thing I want people to or realize the is... The other way to look at that, Joe Joey, is people say, oh, no, he just buckled to all the negative comments online. Well, either way, I thought his thing looked very and like political. But at the same time, I think there, if you look, read his face and the way he talked about it, he clearly, uh, you know, agrees yeah. that that this isn't he, he shouldn't have the guy. Not, yeah, not, what, he didn't what, just what I want people to hear. The thing I want people to hear is we are not against Mark Driscoll. I mean, no, that's like, not my point. Like, my like, point like is we, that the victim. Yeah, right. Thing. So, so we actually think that he is a 
dude, that it, some people actually question that I said we need Mark Driscoll. I actually do think we don't need, we need Jesus. That, that's, I want to clear that up for sure. But I love the fact that there are people that can preach the gospel in a way that is different than everybody else and it be a real, a real thing that is needed in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not being and, so guarded. Right, 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 for sure. So uh, our whole point is not to belittle or even talk, just talk shit about Mark Driscoll. I actually think the guy's awesome and could, and could, could do so much. And this is a great opportunity to be humbled. Yep. And to change and to do all those things, and uh, as far as language, I actually I stand so strongly behind yeah, I that too. because I just thought, and I even said this in that last podcast, but I, I just think I want to say that because I don't want anybody thinking I'm a hero. If you can't hear the language I use, I think that's good. Like if you don't respect yep. me for that or whatever, great. Because yeah. I'm not a good guy. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, in no way am I better than Mark Driscoll. And even to the point of it was really funny. I was telling Jess, like, some people even wrote me personally and just said, hey, man, I just really appreciated what you said. Um, thank you for just bringing even that little bit to light. And uh, I told Jess that, and I was like, what did you think about it? And she said, you need to watch your language. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my wife. That's, I know it. I know it. So the only, the only point I'm trying to make is not even a negative one about this man, but there's something in the power structure of the way people think and look where the benefit of the doubt goes to the person in the position oh, of yeah. power, and that is scary yep. and it is dangerous. All and right. if it was enough, like, for instance, I'm not making any direct parallel or correlation, but if there's some physical abuse or something like that, or even sexual abuse, You everybody knows you don't give the automatic benefit to the alleged abuser. You don't go, right. well, you right. don't know, he probably didn't, or whatever. And that feels, in, in, in a some way, like is what, is kind of the way I'd say that we all feel here in Seattle. Yeah, I, I mean, how many people are welcoming Mark Driscoll and uh, uh, standing up, standing ovations or whatever, but they they are just destroying Obama. Yeah, they don't give. Yeah, I mean, come on, you, you can't give our president one inch, but you'll give somebody that a church said you can't be here unless yep. you change. I mean, a church said that. That that's the thing. And man, I'm really glad you made that point. Nobody wanted Mars Hill to end. And no, it none ended. of us did. Yeah, no, nobody in the congregation that were giving their tithes, giving their time, serving at that church, zero people, including Mark Driscoll, wanted it to end. But it did. It doesn't exist anymore. And so that means something. For it not to exist anymore means something ended it. Like, I mean, your, your life ends because something bad happens to you. Why did the life of that church end? Something bad happened. You cannot ignore that. And it will be better if we acknowledge it. Just yep. acknowledge it and move on past it. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does stuff. That, that, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, I just didn't you know, have anything we, we to say. We don't need to stay on this time, too long. But. Yeah, that's fine. Last time I didn't have anything to really say about it, but I had the chance to hear from other people since then. So I just wanted to weigh in on it since I'm the, probably the one closest to it in that regard. But I don't, I don't have any care beyond that. I can release it. That's all good, but that's all I had on that. Okay, well, that's enough of all of that stuff, so let's move on to our guest. We have a good guest. His name is Clay Toomey. Great guest. And the yeah, dude, last week's uh, guest was not any good. He's just a Hollywood star, but this one's right, good. Right, but this one's good. This is a real-life, we got a real-life uh, bank robber, Amazing. Clay Toomey, so we'll talk to him in just in a minute. Folks, I told you last week, on tour, As Cities Burn and Emory. As Cities Burn is, gonna, is back, and they're going to be playing their whole album, Son, I Loved You at Your Darkest. It's going to be incredible. you got to make it out. I'll tell you where we're going to be. We're going to be in New Orleans, Dallas, San Antonio, Mesa, Arizona, 
Los Angeles, San Diego, Anaheim, Orangevale, California, and San Francisco, which is also in California. So not only are they playing that old thing, these guys have some new music. Cue the music. Here's some music right now. It's fading up. Here, you're going to listen to it. We're going to hear part of a song. New As Cities Burn songs. Check this out. That song is called Prince of Planet Earth. They'll be playing it along with their album. Go to ascitiesburn.net. Right now, if you go there, you can get a VIP package, which will get you an exclusive poster, an exclusive T-shirt for that night, an early entry to the show, and you'll be buying the ticket directly from the band. Now, these are limited. Some of them are sold out, so you won't be able to get them. There's some tickets left, some VIP tickets left for some of the shows, so you'll have to go sort that out for yourself. And I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to go ahead right now, and this is for bad Christian listeners only. You get $5 off of that VIP package. And when you go in there and you pay for it, you just enter the promo code BCPOD, and you will get a VIP ticket for $5 off. Go do it today. I'll be there. Emery will be there. I'll see you in the pit. Man, I love the BC Club. You know why, Matt? Toby, you know, you guys know why? Matt, do you know why? Toby, do you... Toby, do you know why? (laughs) I'm just kidding, everybody. I'm just kidding. I'm fooling. It's just me, man. It's just me. Well, I'll tell you why. It goes back to the title of Emery's last album, You Were Never Alone. Matt, Toby, and I are not alone with this... BC movement or whatever you want to call it. We know that change is important and we know how insignificant the three of us are by ourselves. So it's cool when we think about the fact that some of you are saying, man, I'll pay for a podcast episode every now and then or hey, I'll give $7 a month or 14 or 21 50 Some of you even give more. It's awesome because you like what you hear and you want to be more of a more than a casual listener. So we're thrilled to have you a part of what we're doing, and we like giving stuff in return, like t-shirts and free music and stuff, even though we know it's not near as worth what you guys do for us. But it's because of you that we get to keep doing this stuff, making music, podcasts, and there's future podcasts uh, that, that we're planning on doing, more bands we plan on signing, more community happening around the world because you guys want to be a part and are giving to help us out. So we thank you and we want to recognize the following givers as con- contributors to this episode, and that's Brandon Ray, Britta and Nate Miller, Christopher LaVoy, Conrad Terasuk, Jackson Edwards, Joey Smith, Justina Anderson, Kelly Hurst, Laurel Morgan Miller Marsh. That's a cool name, Laurel Morgan Miller Marsh. Tad Taylor, Spencer 
Rowe, that's R-I-O-U-X, I think that's Rowe, and Todd Baltz. We really thank you guys, love and appreciate you all for what you do for us. BC Club. Go to badchristian.com forward slash contribute if you're interested in hearing more about how to be in the BC Club. So here's what's happening right now. It's unbelievable. So you know what's really interesting is most of the country is Midwest. Joey, you live in the Midwest for a little while, and I did too. I don't don't know if I remember storms this crazy. Now, definitely not in Seattle. Seattle, No, we have nothing. I mean, it, it rains but like weak, it's like wimpy rain. You know what I mean? Like y'all don't even hardly ever get any serious rain. Right now, it is just a summer storm where out of nowhere, unbelievable lightning and thundering and then hail. And it started little tiny pieces, like little tiny crushed ice in your cup pieces. And then all of a sudden it was real big, like an inch wide Crazy. hail falling through so i ran outside i took I, I pulled my shirt off ran outside and uh grabbed several of the pieces because my kids are five three and two and they've never seen hail ever in their entire life so i was like i got to show them this that there's ice falling from the skies and here's the thing i've always thought this wouldn't like an alien think that this world is so dangerous if they saw, like, today, right now in South Carolina. Like, I mean, there's a, electricity oh, shooting yeah. from the sky and ice pellets pelting the houses and the people. Yeah, and your wife coming out to the garage to tell us to be very careful. I know. <laughs> <laughs> she's afraid that, that lightning's going to come up your microphone and headphones, isn't she? Like, yeah, she's exactly, you're exactly right, man. That's what she thinks. She thinks electricity's going to hit this house and... Joey and Toby will be electrocuted through their microphones that they're holding. <laughs> 48 million volt phantom power. <laughs> I didn't know what to say to Jessica because it was like, I, what can I change right now? I can't I know. do anything different. <laughs> no, what am I supposed to do? We're in a house. We're trying to be as safe as we can. I mean, there, there is nothing you can do. Now, Matt, I don't want to go into a science segment, but what what is the chance that electricity could shoot through like a, a wall outlet into this microphone and kill Joey or I. Well, I'll put it this way. It definitely ain't zero. Damn, that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> but I'm super jealous. I love storms. I love the weather like that, and we just don't get it in Seattle. But on the other hand, Clay, our guest on the line right now, I bet he is not jealous because he's in Dallas, and they are continuing to get storms as well. Clay, you probably had enough bad weather being out in Dallas and Texas, hadn't you? We've got a little bit. We've we've been swimming some. <laughs> yeah, we were there. It was bad. Yeah, that's water. It's been raining. I don't. I, I think it finally quit for a couple minutes the other day, but I think it's been raining for about two months now. Dude, Dallas native. Two months. Yes, <laughs> two months of rain. <laughs> yeah, something stupid like that. <laughs> that is it so sucks. awesome to be able to say that though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been raining for two months. It's not yeah, that big of a deal. Like in the old days, that's called like get an ark. Or something like that's that. That's pretty much. I mean, there were at least people around here started googling like how to build an ark because <laughs> uh, the rivers just turned into lakes and it was ridiculous, man. We went from crying about how there wasn't enough water yep. in the lakes to go fishing to the fish just kind of floated to our front door. So, well, it's good to uh, hear. It's, it's good to hear your accent there, Clay. Joey's asking, "Are you from Dallas? You obviously grew up in the South somewhere." Born and raised, Dallas, right Texas. Well, now, Clay, have you been doing a bunch of interviews with the stuff you got going on lately? You, are you a regular press guy now? We know you're on the Dave uh, Ramsey show a little bit ago. I was on his show uh, last year uh, talking about uh, how I became debt free, and then his, his guy, his uh, people came to my house and uh, shot a kind of like a feature story. That was pretty cool, and just talking about how uh, I basically busted my tail to 
pay off a whole bunch of debt that I owed. So did you have um, debt coming out of prison? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because of the reason I went to prison, I pretty much had debt coming out of prison because of that. So okay, so uh, I I, I kind of know yeah, the story, but it. let's get into that. So you did. <laughs> cool. we'll, I will get all the way into that story, but let's just start right there where you're at. Matt, you, basically, Matt, Matt, basically, he tried to get out of debt first by robbing banks. Okay, <laughs> there you go. go oh, jail, yeah. When he came out, he tried Dave Ramsey. Right. Yeah. So right. That's, that, that's perfectly. I mean, we can end the interview right there. That's, that's it. Everything in a nutshell. But you know, so nothing else to say. You blew the water right there. I know people know that you did crime and you robbed banks and stuff, and I want to hear more about that. But when you go into jail for something like that, you still owe the money back. Yeah. When you steal something, uh, and they found out, they find out that you steal it or that you stole it, um, you got to give it back. So if you don't oh, man, have what it, jerks. Yeah, it's really <laughs> even if it's all spent, you even if you're Bernie Madoff and it was like a billion dollars or something like that. Well, fortunately, I didn't have uh, billions of dollars to worry about. Uh, but yeah, if you if you have, you know, they call it restitution. You know, if you mm-hmm. take ten bucks, yeah. then you got to pay ten bucks back plus any kind of fees or fines on top of that. So in my case, there was a few hundred bucks worth of of uh, court costs, and then there was all the money that I got from. Uh, the 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 bank robbery. So I, wow. I had to pay all. You know, when I got back, that, when I got back to the free world, that was part of my uh, part of my judgment was that I had to pay back like 150 bucks a month until it was all paid back. And I paid it off early, so it, it was a lot more than 150 bucks a month. But uh, yeah, you definitely have to pay back that money because the the feds are the ones who you know if you go rob a Chase bank. You know they're going to get that money back from. I was guess, there a the time FDIC like when you when you were paying it back? Did you think, man, if I just robbed another bank, I could just nail this real quick? <laughs> <laughs> like after you got yeah, out of jail, pretty. <laughs> I mean, that, it's kind of like uh, uh, you know, it's really easy to do that. So it, there were there weren't days where I actually considered it. <laughs> I got this to is too good. There's that. just so many things I want to know. This is too good. This is like my dream conversation here because I've <laughs> always thought. I, I mean, I've seen so many bank robbery movies. I know that sounds crazy, and I'm not going to rob a bank. Don't worry. But like, I love the idea of. Uh, let's just get back. Let's just get into it. What bank okay, robbery you, movie yeah. most is like your story, Clay? Is it yeah. Break? <laughs> is it what <laughs> is it? Well, I don't know how to surf, so it's not Point Break. Okay. Right. Um, I think. I, I don't think there is one uh, that I could that I can think of off the top of my head because the way that they do it in Hollywood is that, I mean that's how you get caught you know that's the that's the that's you know when you go in with ten guys yeah. with a bunch of presidents you know masks on or whatever yeah. it was they were doing or Ocean's Eleven Dead they're trying to get yeah. like a billion dollars or whatever you know you do things like that you draw a lot of attention and you get caught so kind of the way that I was going about it was. Uh, much less uh, glamorous than well, let's, that. Let's hear that. Yeah, yeah let's get it. Okay, let's so I, first, let's start. First things first. You grew up, which I would call still basically the Bible Belt of you know, Texas. And did you grow up a Christian? I mean, was it was your family conservative? What what was that like? Your family? Yeah, I grew up in church. Uh, my uh, my dad's actually a pastor, and he wasn't oh, a pastor wow. when I was a kid, so I wasn't I wasn't a PK. But I grew up. In youth group, you know, I knew I could say the books of the Bible forwards and backwards, like yeah. literally. I knew all sixty-six forwards, backwards. I could say all the verses that I was supposed to say. I knew all the right prayers to pray. Like that was my life as a kid, as a as a youth, and uh, that's pretty much what I did. I mean, even into my late teens and early twenties, I was I was playing in Christian bands, praise and worship bands, wow, doing church camps. And then I mean, what? What was the change? Was. Yeah, what was that change where you're like, hey man, I could. I think I could rob a bank. I could do something real bad. Was it was robbing your bank the first idea, or did you do other other crimes first? 
it wasn't my first idea. What um, what happened uh, to to kind of start that process? Well, first of all, I've always been kind of fascinated with figuring uh, figuring things out and just kind of uh, seeing if I can do stuff that other people can't do. And yeah, I, I didn't like jump straight from that into uh, bank robbery, but uh, there was there was a situation with my bank uh, that was um, to basically. I have, I have to I have to remember what all what all I've owned up to on that part of it because that never reached like criminal stuff so I'm I'm kind of filtering myself on that <laughs> but but long story short I you know I I found out how horrible the bank surveillance was essentially I went and cleaned out a bunch of money out of my you know own bank account yeah and then I denied it and told the bank that somebody else stole my money so mm-hmm. um, they they did their whole affidavit process and they I saw their surveillance and they were convinced that you know this guy was actually not me. And even though it was me and I saw how horrible their surveillance was. And, uh, of course, anybody who knew me, like my mom or my dad, if, you know, when they saw those pictures, the printouts, it was pretty obvious that it was me, but the bank and the police and, you know, all those folks, they didn't, they didn't have a clue. And, uh, and I kind of realized that, uh, the surveillance, you know, those cameras that are above the teller, when you go into the bank, it's, they suck. I mean, they don't really, it's like a webcam. So, And plus, just how high they are, they really can't see you. And, and I started thinking, you know, if that's all they got, if, that, if that's the only thing that they use to stop people or to solve their crimes, I'm pretty sure I could rob a bank well, and get away with okay, it. Okay, but wow. so so you took money out of your account and then told them you didn't, but w- what was the motivation to do that? Did you need the money, or were you just trying to test that out? Well, I had uh, some some pretty severe mental issues at the time, and uh, the money that was in my account actually wasn't mine. It was... It was a uh, it was a CD that my that my mother had. Mm-hmm. It was in my name though, and so when that CD uh, matured, I went and took the money out. But didn't you have and, to use an ID then? I mean, I don't still don't understand. Yeah, how. sure. Yeah, I used my ID and I used all that and and just denied it. Oh, say it was it a fake me. ID. Whoever oh, it was, wow. you don't. How do you know? It's not your job to solve the crime. You just know you didn't do it. You said. Right. So we filed we filed uh, the affidavits and all that stuff, and and then when the surveillance pictures came back and of course when my mom saw it she knew that 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 was her son so there was no lying to my mom about it cuz she knew what her boy looks like but i the the police and the banks and all that were pretty much still they didn't seem like they really knew what was they seemed pretty incompetent honestly yeah wow and uh that whole thing got squashed once once my family you know my parents realized that that was me that kind of just uh, ended right there, and, and we didn't pursue anything. We didn't chase the guy who impersonated me because it was me. <laughs> so uh, that just kind of ended right there. But that was uh, that was in, like, November of 05 or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I just decided that if that's the best that they can do, when it was actually me and that was the best that they could do, then pretty sure that I could uh, take it to the next level. So I started studying uh, bank robbery and just uh, kind of became fascinated with it and perhaps a little bit it obsessed sounds to with me it. already that's and that's really my question is is it is there some drive to it here that's almost more than than just the thousands of dollars or whatever it's to see if you can do it and how it works and is it is it just addictive almost just to try to the rush of it well it's definitely addictive it's when you the first time you do it you want to do it a second time and then then you want to do it a third time it's it it plays it plays into your uh like for somebody like me you know i i was just this really 
I thought I was like a crazy mad scientist genius kind of dude, and I just and I wanted I would have to thought prove the it. same thing, man. Hey, so so walk <laughs> it, walk us through a bank robbery. I mean, walk walk us through what what does that look? So like? you yeah you decided okay well I got away with that pretty much, and they're not that that like you like you said it seems like they're maybe incompetent. I'm smarter, right? Like that's what you were thinking. Like I'm a genius. I can I can do this. And so what yeah. what was the what where did how did you do it? So basically, uh, if you can just imagine what it's like to walk into a McDonald's and order a Big Mac, that's pretty much, pretty much what it's like to rob a bank. You just walk in and you tell them what you want and then they give it to you and then you leave. And the, you, don't have to, you don't have to threaten to kill them. You don't have to go in guns a-blazing. Um, I, I, I you should tell preface them it's a this robbery, by saying I certainly, I certainly don't recommend this to anybody. So I'm not giving like a how-to. I don't want to turn, turn this hey, into man, like a Hey, man, we're so proud of what you've accomplished here. Hey, honestly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, essentially, like the way that I was doing it was uh, I was just I was just walking in. I had a, like an envelope or something that I wrote a note on so that, uh, that they wouldn't keep my note. They would, it would be on the envelope. And I just wrote on there, you know, like, give me your 50s and 100s. And then it was like three lines. It would be give, give me your 50s and 100s. And then the next line would be something along the lines of, you know, don't look at me or anything like that. Awesome. And then the third line would wow. be, you know, it's not a joke. And you just, you just hand it to them. And uh, the first thing they do is look at you like, is this, <laughs> is this for real? Are you full of shit or what? <laughs> and uh, so you just you pull then you pointed back. Are they, are they you pointed back to line number two when she looked at you? <laughs> are they yeah, hoping I mean, for a week? Just, yeah. <laughs> you just kind of you raise your eyebrows and like nod to the paper and you just like, oh my gosh. You remind them to read that. And I don't know, it's kind of a. It's a process for them that they have to go through too. So they they uh, they 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 move pretty slowly and they reach for their money. And there's always that button that they push right by the drawer. So they go ahead and push that, and then they uh, they put the money into the envelope and give it to you. And you turn around and leave. The button and you doesn't just walk trigger, out and then you run. The button doesn't trigger somebody at the front door, like a like no. The, the button triggers the uh, the the way I understand it is the button triggers. The alarm company. The alarm company calls the police. The police dispatch an officer, and then the officer comes to the bank. And so that whole chain of events takes longer than it does for me to walk to the door and then out to my truck. So you, ne- wow. you never show them a gun? No, no, not at and all. Then, and then second, it seems like what if you're not showing them a gun, then why wouldn't they just stall like crazy, like pretend like... Well, they don't know if you... I mean... You don't yeah, know if they it has that's not their job. I mean, most banks have a policy that that just give it to them. You want to comply with the bank robber. You want yeah. to comply with the guy who's telling you to give him the money because, in the big picture, you know, as as much money as banks have and all that stuff, they're losing money on hot checks and bad checks and stuff like right. that. They're not losing money on bank robbery. It's pennies in the bucket to them, and so to them, they have a greater interest in protecting their uh, customers and protecting their staff, mm-hmm. and they just want to get you in and out. So if it's somebody like I like I was doing, you know, somebody like me just walks in, and, and the only people who knew I was robbing the bank is me and the teller in front of me. The people in line, like I would just stand in line waiting for my turn to talk to a teller. They nobody knew that I was not yeah. a regular customer. So it was just quiet and simple. They just peaceful and nice and uh, well I don't know about nice, but I mean <laughs> I just passed them just pass them the envelope, they do their thing and then I get out and nobody knows about it until I'm gone. That, I mean that first time want. were you like just shaking? Were you like super nervous or are you, like are you just like cool cool calm collected guys? I mean what's your personality? Like you you're okay with that? Like you weren't scared? Um, I'm not scared of a lot of things. Uh, the first thing that, that 
well, the first time that I went to do it, I chickened out and, and then, you know, I went and sat yeah. in my truck and I, I was trying to breathe myself down to some level of calmness, calmness. And it, and, it, and I couldn't do it. I was like, just kind of, I was like overamped. I was just jazzed up and, and a little bit scared, a little bit nervous. And, and I decided that that probably wasn't the best uh, state to go in to a bank robbery. So I, I chickened out, I canceled it and I came back the next day and I told myself that if, <laughs> if that happens again, like I'm not going to try a third time. If I'm yeah. just too much of a chicken shit to do this, then, then I'm out. But when I went back that second time, I, I sat in the truck, I turned my truck off and uh, wrote the little note and everything. And I just kind of sat there for a couple minutes and I felt such a calmness about me. And I was really comfortable with what I was about to do. And I just, uh, I just kind of, I, I didn't really psych myself out, but I just yeah. believed in my ability to go in and, and conduct myself in a manner that would not allow me to freak out. <laughs> did you pray? Did you and pray that, about it? Did you give it to <laughs> the Lord? Yeah, I, I spoke with the Lord. Well, that that does blessing. raise a good question, though. Like, what what was that idea where you were like, yeah, I'm just going to do this? Like, I mean, having, a, you know, obviously family that were Christians and you grew up Christian, played in Christian bands and all that stuff. What was the switch where you're like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to do this no matter what? Like you knew it was wrong, right? Yeah, I've I always struggled with um, right and wrong. Like morality in general is very subjective in my opinion. There's certain things that you shouldn't do clearly, uh, but then there's other things that I don't necessarily feel too bad about. And yeah, um, a lot of that actually hasn't changed a whole lot. I mean, I, I, I'm a totally different man than I was a decade ago, and I'm doing different things than I was doing back then, and I'm on a better track. But I still um, you know, I always struggled with this, this line of who determines like what's right and what's wrong. And that's, that's kind of yeah. where I was thinking. And all these people, um, they have so much money and I, and I think that they're doing, uh, the wrong thing with it. And so to me, I like, thought I you could mean corrupt banking at the high level yeah. kind of thing. I wouldn't even say that. I, I would just, I mean, obviously that's included in my, in my mindset at that time, but even just like family members that I had who I, who I thought were doing really well, while other family members were struggling to put food on the table. And I, and I had right. a big time inner, inner issue with that. And, and I didn't judge, like I wouldn't go to anybody that I knew and tell them that they were a piece of crap because they were rich and letting their family starve. Like I wouldn't take it to that extreme, yeah. but um, I really thought that I could do something better with the money if I went and took it from the bank. And then on top of that, it's not that much money to them. It's their billion right. dollar industry. You know, they, they can afford sure. it. Is, is so how, how much would you, it. you did that five or six times and how much did you get each one or total? Well, the, uh, the average, and this is one of those, this is one of those areas where I tend to get vague. I don't, I don't usually discuss how many or I how see. much, how many banks yeah. or how much money. I see. Just because I don't want to get right. myself in trouble with, sure. if I tell you more than I told them, That's right. you know, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> we can, we can speak in general terms. You but still like are the average bank mastermind. robbery, the average take back then was anywhere from like five to 7,000 per uh -huh. bank. So you're not getting a ton of money but it's but low risk way that, at least physically the, yeah low risk money. low reward but yeah. you could i could rob 20 banks at five grand a piece and have less risk than if you robbed mm -hmm. one bank at 100 grand that's right so right. it was a numbers game gosh man i so. hate that i feel that like i respect that <laughs> i'm so yeah i, I like it <laughs> like so i much. just think man that is so cool that you have that self-control because i mean honestly after okay first of all here's what i'm thinking when i hear your story man i just think that first time when you did it and then the money passed over to you had to be like a high. I mean, you had to feel like you are the had the biggest balls in the world and just like, this is But the anxiety like, for the next 72 hours had to be crippling, no? 
Uh, no, it was it was more of what the first part of that was. <laughs> I felt I felt like a badass. I mean, I didn't feel awesome. a bad. I didn't feel like a badass in the terms that I was a big tough guy, but I felt right. like I had outsmarted. I right. felt like I had found the, a, a kink in their system, and and the first one I ever did. Um, it was only like uh, it was only it was like three grand. It was not that much, and right. I didn't know how much it was going to be, but I expected more than three grand. So my initial thought was, "Damn, this is not that much." Like that right. was crazy. I shouldn't have done that. And as I'm driving home, then the anxiety set in. It was about a twenty or thirty minute drive back to my house, and I was a little bit on edge. And I rushed home, and I ran inside. I hid the money up in the attic for some dumbass reason, and then I turned on the news. <laughs> And I just waited to f- see myself on the news because that's, you know, you hear breaking right. news, bank robbed in Garland, Texas or whatever. And it never happened. And I looked on the Internet. There was no story about it. I, huh, I no tried way. to find they a story. They didn't really report it? They didn't report it. It wasn't a big deal. Some guy came in and took a couple thousand bucks from a bank and then went home. Nobody got hurt. Right. And there was nothing, you know, newsworthy about it. And Gee. and the that, bank doesn't really want anybody to know that anyway because that Well, that happens with cre- – being right. realistic, that happens with credit cards – hundreds and thousands Constantly. of times every single yeah. day and they write off every the, the $4,000 oh, yeah. charge. The guy goes to sure. steals your credit card, goes to Best Buy, buys one TV, your credit card gets cut right. off, no investigation, no nothing. And this is no different than that. Yeah, that, that conservative South Bible Belt people think, oh, $3,000 is a bad guy here, so they'd rather just not do that because it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't matter. The $3,000, they're going to write it off and it's not that, it's really not that big of a deal. So at they that point you thought, oh. an acceptable th- loss. Yeah, right. It's an acceptable loss to them. And then, so you so, thought, well, shoot, I got three, you know, three whatever thousand dollars, and so now, man, I'm I'm gonna hit it up and just keep going. Yeah, it was. It wasn't so much about the money because it wasn't it wasn't life changing money, right? But it was definitely about like I just did something that they make movies about, and and that totally, oh, my man, head yeah. just exploded with arrogance and all this all these bad things that I was. That was like my drug. I mean, I'm a sober guy. I've never, I've never drank or done drugs. Well, I, I drink a little now, but you know, growing up, I never was into alcohol or drugs or anything like that. But this, yeah. this whole thing was definitely, um, it was intoxicating. So, yeah, what I are some man. ways that wow. put, what are some ways that put you on top of this uh, art of robbing banks that other people don't do that get caught? Well, the the thing that I did, I studied it for a good five or six months. I just studied how people got caught. Um, like and what, what were they doing? I mean, do you have any specific examples of what you did to prevent you from getting caught? Yeah, I did. I, I wanted to make sure that what I was doing was not um, something that would land me on the news. Like there were, there was a, <laughs> there was a kid. I think in Missouri. Uh, this is one of the stories that I found. He was a 18 year old kid who robbed the bank on the way to prom, and he didn't have enough money uh, to have fun that night. So when the limo came and got him. He told the limo driver, hey, can you stop at the bank? I need to go make a withdrawal. So he went inside and robbed the bank and came out and went to prom and had fun, I'm sure, because he had more money than the rest of the kids since he had just robbed the bank. But he was in a tuxedo. He he got back into a limo when he left. Like he did all these (laughs) things that landed his, you know, tail on the news. And, you know, about two o'clock in the morning when the limo driver gets home, he flips on the TV to watch the rebroadcast of the news. He's eating a sandwich and drinking a beer, and he sees this bank had got robbed by this kid with this description who got in the limo and drove off. And he and it was the kid that he had hauled around all night. So he called the police and said, hey, I know exactly who that is. Oh, and so boy. stuff like that. So you're you know, smart, but you probably didn't wow. involve anybody. You probably didn't even tell people what you're up to at all, like your buddies or anything. Nobody knew. Yeah. Nobody, not my best friend, not my not my wife at the that, time. That, not that is anybody. so smart. Like I... 
I just think that that's the exact same thing I thought. Like, I, I've been listening to the Serial podcast. I don't know if y'all, any of you guys have, man, I think you've listened to it. Frosted but, Flakes and Sugar no, Snacks. No, no, no. S E R I L. Okay, gotcha. And, um, and it, th- that's what I always thought about crime is just don't involve anybody else because yep. loose lips sink ships. You know what I yep, mean? Definitely. And, and like, it, so that, that the reason why I'm enamored with this story is I love that. I don't love that. I, I, I love thinking about the idea of what that is, that mental, like the mental part of it. Like, I just did this. Like, it, it's the DIY thing. The same way as, you know, my family <laughs> told me, don't start a band. You'll lose. You'll do bad. And I was like, no, I'll yeah, show you. You have to I'll, have I'll, the confidence. You know what I mean? Like, it. and then when it succeeds, it there really does have. There's that feeling of, I I did it. Like like people mm-hmm. think this is silly or crazy, and that even goes into that moral idea, like you were talking about of what is moral. You know, you say this is wrong or right, but I'm telling you, I did this, and I thought about it, and I did it in a practical way that actually worked the same way as if I started the business it would work or whatever that might be so I can see why that would be such a drug like to even to me I'm a little bit enamored with that idea of man I did something that everybody says don't do and I proved them wrong yeah but it's not just the figuring it out because you wouldn't think the same way about like taking advantage of a woman you know what I'm saying like you wouldn't think oh I feel so like no no but to me that seems like weakness like like a guy that would hurt a woman or abuse Mm -hmm. a female what about a serial rapist right that's what I'm saying that's that's weak that that feels like you're uh a slave to your own desires like what he did was nothing about a slave to your own desire it was actually super practical and even reserved like I mean the the bigger thing would like like for example most people that get caught uh, would say, oh, three thousand dollars. That's not enough. I got to go into the the giant vault and steal the hundred thousands of dollars. But <laughs> yeah. he didn't do that. Yeah. So like that self control is like, man, I just think that's really. There had to be such a a a high just to think I'm controlling what I'm doing and I'm com- I'm completely in control during the process. Like that that seems like that would be a high for sure. So Clay, the million dollar question: Why are you not robbing banks at this time? Yeah, how'd you get called? <laughs> Um, well, I didn't get caught actually. Uh, what happened is my, my, I had a son, I became a father in October of 2006 and, um, I kept going about life the way that I was doing it. And I, I robbed another bank about a month after he was born and it, it, something just didn't feel right about it. And, uh, I, it was the first time I had ever robbed a bank and not enjoyed it and, and not felt good about it. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> How can about, you not enjoy it? That just seems. I don't so know. Bad. Well, it just Depressing. wasn't the same. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> those but, uh, kids, kids, just... those kids ruin everything. Man, I love them, but they ruin everything. Yeah, my son screwed up my bank robbing career. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, a month, a month, uh, a month after he was born, I did that, and then a few weeks after that, I did it again. And those two banks were just they, they were there was no joy in it. There was no. Um, there was no feeling of success. All the stuff yeah. that I you had got to follow your passions. Yeah. It just wasn't the same anymore, and and ultimately, I just had to come to the realization that you know I got a baby, <laughs> I'm a dad. Somebody's going to grow up and call me daddy, and and the thought of my son saying you know daddy is a bank robber is right. it was pretty. Um, it wasn't even humbling. It was just kind of humiliating to think about, and so I decided sure. that that was the end of my days as a bank robber, and and I just stopped. And that was uh, December of '06 was the last one I ever did. Yeah, and. Uh, and then the next, the next thing to consider was how do I rectify the situation? And, uh, and that's when I decided that 
probably the best thing to do. Even though I was sure I was, I was never going to get caught, I decided that it was probably most beneficial for me to just bite the bullet, turn myself in, do my time while my son was a baby, and uh, and get out hopefully early enough to where it wouldn't impact his life too much. Now, I that's really interesting. Why, what, I mean, what made you think rectify it though like why not just i mean what were did you start getting anxiety over it or did you start overthinking it or like what what made you go hey i should just tell somebody because i mean you wasn't you're pretty scot-free right yeah i was good to go man i mean i didn't have anything to worry about but you know i'm pretty uh analytical and i know math and i I know my odds and percentages in in a lot of different ways and it wasn't i I was good to go but it wasn't a hundred percent and the statute of limitations was something like seven years and police, they, uh, they solve, you know, detectives figure stuff out on accident all the time. Yeah. I mean, just some fluke thing can happen. And my, my worst case scenario was that, you know, my son would grow five, six years old, and then they would accidentally figure out that I robbed this bank, and then they would connect all the other banks. And I, I could not uh, allow myself to be removed from my son's life at the age of five or six and probably be gone for most of his elementary yeah. and probably wow. middle school years. And so, so when you turn yourself in, do you have the ability to make a deal at all? Like I know you get, it's feds. better to turn yourself in than get caught, but do, do you, did you have ability to make a deal? Like I'll tell you, admit to this many or whatever. With uh, with the state, you know, I'm in Texas. You can negotiate with like district attorneys on stuff like that. But with the you know the federal system is totally different, and uh, bank robbery falls under federal and state. So I had to deal with both of them. But no, the answer is I didn't. Uh, I didn't get to make a deal with them. They, I turned myself in, and uh, they asked me questions. Um, initially, I only told them about one bank, and they didn't believe that. So I told them about two more. And uh, they were, they were, uh, that was sufficient for them. And so the way that they go about sentencing is, is literally a, a chart that they just, a judge looks at a chart and decides your criminal history is this, your crime is this, your, your chance of recidivism is this. I mean, all these things are taken into consideration. Wow. And they sentence you based off of a range that this, uh, that this chart, it kind of looks like a multiplication table. It, it's, it, they, they sentence you based off of, that suggestion. Uh-huh. And I definitely got a lot less time because uh, I turned myself in. And right. also just because of a lot of other circumstances involved, um, I just got a lot less time. I only got three years. And, uh, you know, when I finally, tur- it took me a good five or six months to turn myself in after I yeah. stopped doing it. But once I turned myself in, uh, May of 07, um, I went and did uh, a little over uh, three years and got out and uh, August of 2010, and uh, and and just left all that behind. Okay, so we got a couple of things that we got. I want to do in the time that we have here because we have a, okay. a out time. But you know, the next thing that obviously we want to know about is prison. So we want to talk about prison and this book that you're writing to tell this whole story and more. And you have a Kickstarter campaign going for that, so I want people to know about that. Cool. So we'll get to that, but let's let's talk about prison for a minute because bank robbing is this whole thing that you could spend all day on. But I think people have a zillion questions about what prison is like. So I don't know what stuff in there you talk about or don't, but I'd love to hear about that. Is that an open? Can we talk about? Yeah, absolutely. Life prison in a joint is, is uh, prison is nothing like they portray it in the movies. I mean, it's such it's almost like church camp. And huh. in my first few weeks of uh, uh, in my first few weeks in jail, I, I even was, you I was went to actually, federal prison. Yes. So yeah, even was, federal prison the, is not like it looks on TV. 
No, and it's not like, you know, one of my favorite movies is Office Space. There's no such thing as a federal pound me in the ass person. <laughs> <laughs> so they just, it's, it's, not, it's not quite how it works. I mean, I'm sure you can if, you, if that's what you want, but uh, that's not what they're, that's not the way it works. I mean, generally you just go and sit down and do your time. I mean, they have a day room. You know, I always thought prison was like a place where you sit in a cell and rot. And that's not what prison in. That's not what prison is. Mm-hmm. They have like a day room. They have programs. They have church. They have all this stuff. You know, I played a lot of chess at the the unit that I was at. We had a ping pong table. I played a ton of ping pong. I got really good at ping pong while I was in prison, uh, and which sounds absurd, but that's just that that was how we did time. And you know, you're around you're around some pretty rough dudes. So things can always get bad at the drop of a hat. And if you're looking for trouble, it's always there. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna get involved, if you wanna fight, or you know, it's all that stuff. Well, is there I'm not gonna be it. able to accept that it's not bad at all. And I know there's bad things about <laughs> it, but let's just clear up a, a little bit. Like you said, pound me in the ass, prison. Are you saying that that whole thing is just a, a myth? No, it's an exaggeration. Exaggeration. I mean, prison. Yeah, it's it's not like like Hollywood wants you to think that it's you go in and you like you always hear the the cliche or whatever about you just walk up to the biggest, baddest dude and, and just hit him, you know, that's not what you do. That'll get you in a lot of trouble, uh, with the other, <laughs> with the rest of the crowd. I mean, um, but I mean, don't get me wrong. Prison, prison absolutely sucks. I mean, you're removed from society, you know, but it's not, it's not a crappy place because of what it is. It's, it's a crappy place because of what you don't have. Right. All the things that you probably take for granted, even, you know, just like this, what we're doing right now, we decided we wanted to talk, so we connected, and we're, and now we're talking. You know, you don't have that in prison. You you can write a letter and mm-hmm. they and send it, and they'll send you a letter back, and it takes two weeks. I mean, stuff like that. You know, I I didn't get to hug my mom when I wanted to hug my mom. I didn't get to go uh, hang out with my dad or or see what my brother was up to. I didn't get to go to the Ranger game or the Cowboys game or you know, I didn't get to do. You all feel this stuff. that? Well, for, first of all, we lost Toby and Joey. They texted me. They mm-hmm. got struck by lightning over there. Not, I don't think they're cool. dead because they texted me, but their internet is dead for the moment. So they'll That's be back he said here. He wanted to go rob a bank. That's so right. Struck. <laughs> That's right. So he'll they'll be back in a minute. But we'll keep keep on cool. going with that. So are you saying that the the that the like the way people would describe it, you would think classically is well just the knowledge of just the not having the freedom and knowing that you are not your own and can't do stuff is 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 very painful is that the way you're describing it you're removed from society you don't exist anymore you as far as uh as far as the world is concerned you're dead and that's kind of the opposite of that feeling of being a badass then of robbing the bank then it's totally the opposite you go from the what i was doing as a bank robber was uh, was accomplishing something, even though it was accomplishing something wrong. It was when I, when I went into a bank and accomplished that, that was something I did and I was in control and I felt like I was doing something, you know, not everybody can look in the mirror and say that I'm a successful bank robber. And, and that totally just, I loved it. I loved the way it felt. Whereas in prison, um, they wake you up at six o'clock in the morning and make you stand up just to make, sure that you didn't escape you know a lot of places that Uh i was at they did count at six in the morning and then you did breakfast right after that and all throughout the day you're just you're you're in total submission to anybody in a in a prison uniform and and it sucks man i mean that that part of it was really was really not cool dehumanizing part of it oh we got toby and joey back now you guys are back did you get struck by lightning uh lightning hit us my kids say that they're scared but i told them we're really safe they just don't know 
about it. So yeah, we're good. We're back. Okay. Yeah, well, Toby's kids are like 16, 17, and 19. No, they're <laughs> not. They're terrified. Let me catch you up. We, we will keep this live in, in the interview and everything, but uh, cool. I'll catch you up on what he said. He said basically the prison, it, it's kind of a myth or exaggerated that, like they say, in office space, the federal pound me in the ass prison. He said right. that, and y'all missed to get the laugh on that. It Dang was really it. great. It, that's right when you dropped out. So I died laughing, and I was thinking about going back and editing in laughs of you guys, but just to make I the point. But laugh. that was really funny, Clay, and I'm glad you addressed that. But he says that's kind of an exaggerated myth, and yep. also mm-hmm. that it's not a very necessarily violent place, and there's tons of programs, and it's not like you see it on TV. Right. And cl- correct me if I'm wrong, Clay, but it's you weren't it is scared how, straight. You weren't scared straight, but it is dehumanizing <laughs> to not be free and to to not matter and have no relevance, and that you're you, you don't matter to anybody. You're just a number in in the farm there. Right. I okay. mean, just take a take a walk down to the local dog pound and and see how those dogs are living, yeah. and the way that they look is how it feels to be locked up. But that part of it sucks. So that that's true, but it's. All the other stuff about how you you don't have to constantly look look over your shoulder because you're in fear of being raped by some giant dude named Bubba or whatever like that mm-hmm. that part of it um, I was I was I was glad to see that that's not exactly how prison was. So <laughs> yeah, you now that you that Bubba. you've done it and we'll talk about getting out and all that, but the, does it would you have changed it now that going through it you thought it was worth it or whatever is worse or better than you thought or did you wish halfway through you hadn't turned yourself in? There were points where I doubted my decisions. Um, yeah. There, there was never a point where I regretted it. And when I was sentenced, um, you, have a, you have an opportunity to speak before the court. And uh, I told the judge point blank that, that I, I, I acknowledged what I did was, was not the right thing to do. But I went from being completely isolated from the world. I was living in my own world when I was doing the bank stuff. I left yeah. my family. You know, I split up with my wife. I stopped talking to my all my cousins and uncles and aunts and mom and dad, my brother, I left, I was on my own. And when I was, when I was sentenced, you know, there was a pretty good amount of people in the courtroom that was people who loved me. And I told the judge, you know, it's hard, it's hard to regret something, um, that, that brings such a good result, you know? So no, I don't regret it. And and I won't do it again. I'm done. Uh, That's the end of that. But no, I don't regret it. And, and, what I did was wrong, and I accept that, and, and I fucked up. But, man, life is so good now, and, and things, things worked out, yeah. and, and I'm happy with it, man. And, and uh, that's, that's pretty much what I want to tell people. That's, that's, my, that's my role in life right now is just to say that, you know, who you are, it just doesn't matter because uh, what you can do with that is it makes all the difference in the world. You know, I could have gone right back to who I was before, but, man, the, 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 the crap that I went through – turned into something really beautiful and I don't regret any of it. Did you make friends in the joint? Or do they call it the joint in the joint? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, a joint is something you smoke. In the can. We call it in the clinker. Anything that you've heard on Gomer Pyle is not something that we refer to. I mean, you're locked up. You're in prison or the penitentiary. You know. Now, did you run it? Did uh, you run anything in in prison? I mean, here's the thing. But did you make friends there? That was my original question. Yeah, I wanted to know. Yeah, I made. um, In the last year, I was in a program uh, that was a was a business program, and and it was a pretty tight knit group, and there were some pretty respectable men there, and uh, the kind of guys that you don't expect to meet in prison. And, uh, I've made a few friends. I actually had dinner with a guy last night. Uh, he's from Houston. He was, he's up in Dallas. And, you know, some of these guys, when you're in the same city together, you just, I make sure to go have dinner with them, meet up with them, talk with them, 
And, uh, you know, our pasts all have their own yeah. uh, details, but the bottom line is there's some, there's some good dudes uh, that are locked up and, and, and who get yeah. out and don't go back to that lifestyle. And so, yeah, yeah. I made a couple of friends, and, and I, I refer to them as brothers. I mean, I, I'm, I met some lifelong, um, you know, family while I was gone. Wow, that's cool. It was rare, but I did. Is it hard now? Like, what is, what is that like having that record? Like, is it hard for you to get a job? Or, I mean, like, you, you can't get a job at a bank, right? <laughs> yeah. <I'm, laughs> I keep applying at banks. <laughs> that's my, that's, my, that's the running joke. Like, I, you know, I lost my job, so I'm going to go apply at Chase. They wouldn't let me. But, no, I mean, it, it's, yeah, because, you know, when you fill out a job application, you take for granted the fact that you don't have to check that box that says, I've been convicted of a crime. And you right. and on the you know line right below that where it says if so please describe you don't yeah, have to right. do that, and that whole uh, that whole process is 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 not very easy. But um, the first job that I got you know I got out on a Tuesday I had a job on Thursday. I mean it 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 worked uh, it worked really fast for me because I was wow. prepared. You know the whole time I was gone I was I was building up to something. I didn't just sit there and rot in prison. I mean I made yeah. something of myself. I worked on my own issues. I had a lot of things that I had to deal with internally. So I handled all that. And then when I got out, I was ready for job interviews. I was ready to describe what I did and why I was in prison and why there's a three and a half year gap on my resume. I was ready for that. Yeah. And, and I had a, I had a job quick. I did really well there. I don't, I don't make any bones about who I was. And I, I'm happy to explain to people the difference between who I was and who I am. And yeah. that served me really well. And it's still hard. I mean, it's not easy to get a job when you're a convicted felon, Yeah, but uh, it's it's not impossible, and I and I'll I will fight that tooth and nail with anybody who says I can't get a job because I'm a former criminal. I'm I'm going to tell them they're full of crap and that they're not working hard enough because well, you can and you can do it. I have one kind of tangent question to that, and that's all I have about prison. But given the, the way that you're saying, it's kind of interesting because you're an intelligent guy and you've done time inside. What is your opinion on the fact that, like, uh, people talk about it a lot now, it seems to be a buzz thing, that we have this prison industrial complex and for-profit this and all the low-level drug offenders that shouldn't be there and more people are incarcerated in America than anywhere else. What, what yeah. is your take on that, that whole thing? I think the privatization of prisons is one of the worst things that's ever happened in our country. I mm. thoroughly believe that because there should not be anybody that's profiting financially or otherwise off of somebody else's mistakes, bad choices, yeah. or just uh, the way they live their life differently than others. So I think, uh, I think it's a shame that, that there are people who are getting rich off of, off of criminals. So you think, think these low-level drug offenders shouldn't actually be in prison after all, or they, no. or they should be there? <laughs> my, as far as crime goes, my attitude is if there's not a victim, there's not a crime. So if two people want to go in their house and smoke their brains away, I think it's stupid, but I don't think it should be illegal. Okay. And, if, right. and if that's if, if that's what people want to do with their life, you know, so be it. Let them choose that. Now, if they have a mental uh, disability or something else that impacts their decision making process, then that's different. But, you know, for for somebody who just wants to get high, I don't choose that for myself. But I think people should be allowed to choose that for themselves and, mm -hmm. and to lock somebody up because they uh, chose to live differently is, is really weird to me. And, and on the inside, I can tell you. The number of people who are there with drug-related crimes, it's a stat that you would not even believe if, if you read it. It's, it's, it's nearly 100% of people wow, who are there so because of uh, drug-related offenses or, or something like that. And, you know, if, if, if there's a crackhead still in lawnmower so he can buy another crack rock, that's different. I'm not talking about that. But, but yeah, the privatization and the fact that somebody can get rich 
off of owning a prison. That's that's messed up, man. I'm not down with that. That's, that's, well, thank you for that point cool. of view on that. It was semi unrelated, but I thought you'd have an interesting perspective on it. Yep. I so a, tell us I about got a your book on anything to do with prison. <laughs> <laughs> so you're so you're writing a book and you're doing a Kickstarter. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm. I uh, I went on uh, last September. Uh, I decided to finally start this process of writing a book because I had this conversation with enough people, and it it always ended with, "Man, I just want to know more." Tell me, you know, you should write a book, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I finally did it. And I'm blessed with the opportunity uh, to be able to do something like that. The ability to write is something that I have. So I started writing that and uh, I detail everything from my childhood all the way through middle school, high school, my early 20s. And then, of course, uh, the bank robbery stuff. And, and, and it's actually really connected. I mean, the way that I went about life as a bank robber is the same way I went about life as a kindergartner. I didn't, I didn't acknowledge authority. I didn't care about the rules. Um, I decided for myself what I wanted to do. And if there was something that I thought would get me in trouble, that really didn't impact my decision. I, I was going to do it no matter what. And uh, I, write, I write pretty uh, extensively on that. And... Uh, and the Kickstarter thing, yeah, it's really, I, I, I don't, it's, it's expensive to, to publish a book and all these things that come along with putting a book out, you know, just being real with you, it costs money that I wasn't really sure that I should, that I should invest in and, and really don't have that much to put into it anyway. So uh, somebody suggested doing a Kickstarter and I was like, you know what, that's a pretty good idea because I'm not down with like the GoFundMe pages for people who want to like go to Disney World or all this other <laughs> crap. I'm not into panhandling. You know, I saw a girl uh, <laughs> doing a GoFundMe page for a some, I don't know, vasectomy or something for her boyfriend. I don't know. I'm just not down with that. But I'm also, <laughs> uh, I'm also, I don't have the ability to publish a book. So Kickstarter is a good way to go, kind of go between that, where you basically go and essentially pre-order a book. You know, you can read through the different, the different levels of support is what they call them and, and decide, uh, you know, I, I think most people, you know, there's a video on there talking about, you know, uh, a lot of stuff we've discussed here, but um, basically just saying who I am, the reason I'm writing a book, and and uh, there's some little snippets you can read on my Facebook page, uh, which is, the name of the book is The Blue Chip Store, which is actually kind of a cool story in itself. My son, uh, when he was a toddler, he was coming to visit me in prison, and he loved Cool Ranch Doritos, uh, which are, you know, he couldn't say Cool Ranch Doritos because he's two, but he called them Blue Chips. And every time he came to see me, he that was the blue chip store. And That's so pr- cool. basically, uh, the blue chip store is just a euphemism for prison. So that's the title of the book. You can you can search that pretty much anywhere, um, and and my either the Kickstarter or the Facebook. Page so will search come out. blue chip it? store is where everybody needs yeah. to go. Actually, I think it's a uh, Facebook.com/slash/blue-chip-store, and that'll get you to pretty much anything you need to know about. Uh, uh, anything we've discussed. Cool. How old is and your I, son I'll now? be the first to admit that I'm the world's worst like marketer. <laughs> I don't talk about all that stuff nearly as well as I should, but um, I do. I do believe that that this book is something that people need to see. I think it's something it needs to be in people's hands. And and just generally speaking, I think that my um, I think that my story is something that can impact people in a way that might make them take a look at their own life and uh, really just evaluate some things because. It wasn't like I grew up in a in a home with a bunch of alcoholics and drug addicts. I mean, I grew up in a loving environment. I grew up in church. I grew up around um, what you would call a good, you know, uh, a good place, you know, in the Bible Belt, all that good stuff. And so, the the 
it's not like I was just a, a thug on the streets at 12 years old slanging crack. I mean, I was I was what you would consider a kid who had a chance. And yeah. And when I was in prison, I was just the same as everybody else. I mean, I I was right there at the bottom of the barrel with all the other criminals. Last question I have is when you decided to make this decision to go to turn yourself in. Who, who were you completely alone at that point or did you, or did you have to tell your wife or, or your family or anything did you talk with anybody or what was what was that decision like I was in um I was in Durant Oklahoma at Choctaw Casino of all places and I had did been working win? up to that hmm? did he you probably know that count cards too by the <laughs> yeah. what I can tell this guy he'd been counting cards for yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's my next. That's my next story. I'm going to go with the, <laughs> next the MIT. Book. That's next book. Don't give it away. <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I had been working up to that. I, I knew I was going to be turning myself in soon. And uh, when I, the day that I finally decided to do it, um, I just I called my my wife. We were separated, but I called her, and uh, I told her that you know I'm I'm going to be going away for a little while. Because she, she didn't know, know you had robbed banks, right? Correct. Yeah, she didn't know anything about anything I was doing. And um, I didn't want to put he that. Just knew that on all her. of a sudden she was going to a really awesome restaurant. Yeah, it's just a flip of that. Yeah, you know, like Outback, <laughs> <I mean>, Applebee's. <laughs> well, yeah, Chili's is my restaurant of choice. I've oh man, it. don't get me started. I yep, love it. There we go. <laughs> yeah, but but no, I mean, I just told her that I'm going to be gone for a while, and got off the phone with her, and I think she kind of knew I was probably doing some stuff I shouldn't have been doing. So yeah, um, I mean, I was pretty, I was pretty. I was pretty out of it by that point. I, I was, you know how you can just tell when people aren't right in the head, you know? Yeah. And that's, my whole family knew that something wasn't right. So mm-hmm. I got off the phone with her and I called the, I called the police in the city where I had done the last robbery. And I told them, Hey, I got some information, uh, about a bank robbery from last December. And the guy on the other end of the, other end of the line was like, Oh, okay. What you got? I said, well, I, uh, it was me. I don't, I don't know what you want me to do about it. He said, oh, okay, well, uh, yeah, come on down. And oh, I was, gosh. I asked him, okay, well, like, where do I, I don't know where to come or anything like that. And he said, well, I just, I told him I was in Durant. I was about 45 miles north of, of that city. And he said, well, just let us know when you get here. Said, All right, whatever. And he didn't, I don't think he believed me. I think he thought yeah, it was, probably, uh, yeah, uh, probably yeah, he probably he thought, thought it was a prank good. call or something. Well, so. Wait, I missed it. What did you, what do you do now? What, um, for, for a career, for a job? I stay home with my boys. Uh, I was working in the oil fields for all that time while I was paying off all the debt. I had like $44,000 worth of debt, everything from the bank robbery stuff to like restitution. I mean, yeah. uh, credit card stuff, you know, you name it, I had it. And, uh, I, I went, I went overtime, uh, like 92 hours a week and paid oh all that stuff Lord. off for it. Oh my gosh. And, uh, he loves and then like once that. I was out of debt, like, uh, like a week after I got out of debt, uh, I actually lost my job. <laughs> so it was good timing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I've been, I've just, I kind of coasted for a little bit, uh, on a little bit of money I had saved up and, uh, and I've just been, I've been staying home with my, home with my boys full time and, and, uh, just loving that. Well, Clay, this is tremendous. Thank you for giving us so much information about the different aspects of your life and story here. We want everybody to check out his Kickstarter. How long has it got left? This will go. This will be up on Monday. So, yeah, uh, in a few days. Got, from, how long uh, you got left? Five days by the time they hear this. Okay, and, so you got this week to go. Just we're going to look up the blue chip store or Clay Toomey, C L A Y T U M E Y, and you'll definitely be able mm-hmm. to find it. But yeah. thanks for talking to us today, Clay. 
Yeah, man, I appreciate your honesty and just being open, too. I mean, a lot of people don't talk like this, and I think that's just really needed, just that (laughs) – just to be real with and own up to, you know, the things you've done and, and what it actually was. And, and so we really do appreciate it, man. I'm a little concerned My that pleasure. you influenced Toby a little bit too much. Yeah, I'm going to be stuff. calling you. Can I get your number? I'd love, <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about a couple things that I have going on in my the church, The resolution on those church cameras, Toby needs to run some stuff by you about the, how they, the offering procedures and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> I don't recommend robbing banks. I need to end with that. That, that needs to be... Do not go <laughs> robbing banks. Do not try this at home. You will get Do caught. Do not. I promise you. For sure. For sure. Thanks, Clay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us. That was a blast, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Clay, bank robber, prison guy, Toomey. Oh, man. The chisels he made in prison, I believe, had to be amazing. Yeah. I, I actually really, really enjoyed that interview, <laughs> probably more than most. Like, I mean, that was one of my favorite interviews, probably, because yeah, I loved how honest he was, and I like the idea of that. that is very alluring to me of using your mind and doing something that people tell you don't do. Didn't you I think then, it, wouldn't you think of, try, like, if you had that mind and then you landed in prison, don't you think his mind would have been turning with escape plans the whole time? I know. That's what I was thinking. I, I wanted to ask him that. Ask you you kind of cut me off, but Sorry. I wanted to ask him, like, what kind of things was he running in prison? Like, I mean, I mean <laughs> the guy, he, he thinks mathematically. Like, I actually really do yeah. believe he thought – what mathematically about what are my chances of getting caught later and will it be worse? And he weighed it out like yeah. in numbers and he goes, well, I like if that. I turn myself in now, it'll be less and this, and you know what I mean? Like that, that's really neat to me. So, and it's really interesting. It's where people get pissed off at us. We didn't go into that much redemption in that story. I thought so too. I thought that he, I was thinking when we had this guy on, the story sounded interesting, but he was going to give this right. cheesy pitch halfway through how God did this and now everything's been all, you know, whatever. But yeah. that didn't, like he mentioned uh, his wife split up or whatever, just whatever. There was like right. a bunch of mess in the story that's unresolved and he didn't even apologize for it or anything. Right. And he didn't and give the, like the God pitch, which I thought was super cool. Right, because obviously in his life, if you care, God probably is doing stuff and it's real and he's you know, he's obviously one hundred percent changed his life and, and made it a point to say, Robbing banks is bad, don't do it. I believe in that and all that stuff. So I mean we you don't have to always have an agenda when you just hear somebody's story and that's 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 the danger I think in Christianity in general. That there's always an an agenda. Yeah. You know, no matter what. Hey, yeah, tell your story, but make sure you wrap it up really good with Jesus fixed me and now I'm I'm a deacon at our church. Not yeah, on your BC I mean, pod, baby. Right. There's, there's this couple that we know that you do not know, so there's no you always like to guess who I'm talking about. It okay. drives me crazy. Yep. But anytime Andy Gill and Miranda Gill. <laughs> <laughs> anytime we talk to them are always, and I'm telling you, it is always talking about an unsaved couple that they're hanging out with, <laughs> and they say, "We're." T- I mean, they're getting there. We're talking to them, and I mean, they're consumed with it. And the thing is, is there's a part of me that's just like, man, that's really good that they're constantly driven to be a light, but it's like, man, it's got to get old to see people as projects everywhere you Well, those go. people yeah, have to feel just- that to some degree. The way I look at it, those people... And maybe they're dumb. Maybe they just like the attention, whatever. But they have to almost feel that. Like if you had a friend and you could tell that their underlying goal was something other than the friendship itself. Not if they're really good at it. Well, I, well I'll tell you if what. If they're good really... at being deceptive, then yeah, you might be right. <laughs> we were at, uh, and I won't, I won't give their last name, but uh, it was really fun for me. We went to, on first Sundays, we'd go to the nursing home and we sing songs and just hang out and stuff like that. And I got to talk. 
honestly, for a long time with Trey, our good friend Trey. Yeah. And I think he listens to this podcast. I don't know if he's going to listen to this one or not. but um, He's a pilot. Right. And it was just so fun just to have a real conversation. Like, I was just like, man, this is really cool. I'm hanging out where... I, I, we both of us talked with some of the some of the ladies there, some of the residents and stuff like that, and uh, it was really fun. But I was just like, man, I'm just having a good time talking with this person, and there's no agenda. Like, like he's talking to me about the, you know his job, his family. I'm talking to him about my job, my family, and all this stuff. And it was just so refreshing just to be like, man, I know we're both Christians, and there's no agenda here to try and say, hey, well, maybe you should do this or this, or he's trying to tell you know, like it was just really nice. And honestly, I really enjoyed it. It made the time even better. And I really think, I mean, we've been talking about this a lot. I know we don't have much time. That was a long interview. I know. We're not going to have time for the damn news. We talked great. We we talked. (laughs) Yeah, you don't get to do your news story today. No, I've got That's why I'm trying. I'm going to keep talking so you don't get to do your news story today. it's my time of the month. I'm getting a news story. But I really do think, like, and I would like to talk about this more and more and more, but um, I really do think, like, one thing I hope that this podcast does and what bad christian does is just allow people just to have some conversation and no agenda yeah. for sure so with that being said what most people do need no matter what is the damn truth and there's no better person to tell it than yours truly toby morell i'm toby morell i'm not gonna lie to you my name is toby morell i'm not tobias my name is toby james morell i'm here to report the damn news and it might hurt, but guess what? You're gonna damn well love it. You guys ready for it? Oh yeah, I was I was born ready. So, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa! You, you get the first story? Oh, uh, you know what, friend? You choose. The only thing is, no, you're right. It's gonna be so bad that I got to bring it. Yeah, back. yeah, you so, can't. Yeah, you go first. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't. I, here's the thing. You really muscled me into this. I, I mean, I did not agree to give you a story on my damn news. Either you really respect me, you really love me, or you're scared to death of me. It's one of those. <laughs> Touche. Which, <laughs> which one is it? Respect, love, or fear? All of the above. All of the above. All right. So, uh, re- so um, in my first story, honestly... Some people think that the church isn't cool, but I'm a pastor, and so this first news comes from Charisma. Um. <laughs> so, uh, reporting to you live from Toby Morrell's garage. No, this is our studio. Okay, where mm-hmm. his wife comes out and drops recycled uh, cans into the trash cans and makes sure you we're okay. You ever speak about my wife again? You're done. Make sure we're okay when the thunderstorm is around us. A lot of people know that there are a lot of athletes that they drive themselves into the ground with... <laughs> You can't even tell your own not news. A bad with, start, not a bad start. Your news cracks you up. You're looking at me funny because it's terrible. With bankruptcy, uh, the name, the name, Joey, in- Matt. I wish you could be here because Joey's moving his hand like he's on video. I mean, he's presenting this as if he's on video. The names don't end here, but they begin with <laughs> big names such as Scotty Pippen, Evander Holyfield, Latrell Spruwell. Lawrence Taylor, some of you know he's like the greatest defensive player of all time for the New York Giants. And Mark Rennell, who was a backup quarterback to Brett Favre before he went to the Jaguars to be a starting quarterback. And latest news is Vince Young, the former NCAA national champ, signed a $26 million deal in 2006, proceeded to flush it all away. 
It was reported that Young was spending mm. $200,000 a month at one point, including 5000 a week at the Cheesecake Factory. Damn it! In Whoa. January, Young was forced to file for bankruptcy oh this past Lord. January and is currently sidelined after being cut by the Cleveland Browns. <sighs> 5000 a week at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> <laughs> now, as much as much jealousy as I have to be able to spend $5,000 right. a week at Cheesecake Factory, my question is, in his mind, is he, think, is he really thinking, I have so much money, it is never going to go away? Yeah. Or is he thinking, I don't care. Like, I don't care if my money's gone. He just thinks high, so highly of himself, yeah, that's not going away, and I got it. And it, if it's here now, it's going to be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I mean, this is a guy that Green Bay Packers picked up to yeah. play around and see if he could be a second stringer to Aaron Rodgers, and now he's bankrupt. That's unbelievable. It's sad. I, I, and this <laughs> local p- pastor isn't having it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it has to be so hard, though, to you your whole life – you know, you're in peewee league and you grow up and you get into high school and you're the starter and people tell you you're amazing and you could be in, you know, you're going to get a scholarship, you get, you go to college and all that stuff. And then every single step of the way, you think, man, it's only going to get bigger and better, bigger and better. And then you get people around you that are telling you that and they want to go to the Cheesecake Factory with you and yeah. you pay and, and you yeah. don't and have the money. And they have no I was chance. shocked about Scottie Pippen. I, no, reason, they, they don't have, no, nobody Pippen. has. It's not because they're athletes. It's because athletes are how you get a bunch of money that you didn't uh, earn slowly or learn right. how to manage as you did. So money is power. And so just think of that power as some other kind of power. Think of it as horsepower. So now you go ahead and give Ike or your two-year-old or let's just say a 22-year-old a car with five thousand horsepower, what right. what will happen? And put right. him in, put him on the freeway. So you just this just something you is you cannot handle. There may be somebody that could through a lifelong training. Maybe Warren Buffett can handle a bunch of money yeah. because he he acquired it slowly and from from skill. But Vince Young's skill is not financial. Yeah, yeah. And so Matt, there's no chance to- of handling it well. It would be the same it, I mean, as it, anybody. It's, it's very similar to like a tested. Uh, well-worn news uh, station, a, new, mm-hmm. a, a, a news just uh, even empire. came up through the ranks, and then, and then you give somebody doing. you give somebody a news story, and they just totally blow it, and yep. they just you know they blow their actually you their just, wide everywhere. You just wrote a note on the table. It said, "WTF? I need to let you be the grand finale for now on." That was amazing. You just wrote that. Well, good. So what you're good job on that? Act. I think Joey. Yeah. No, you meant. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I spelled. WTF. That's all I wrote. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Moving on from that. All right. This comes from my good friends, the Hope in the Post. And I think this is pretty interesting. It was scary. I actually think this is a scary news article I'm about to read to you. Ooh, I'm Get scared. It. Yep. Spanish bullfighter gets gored in the testicle. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds horrible, right? I cannot believe this is about a testicle or a vagina. Like, it's, this is nuts, man. No pun intended. Keep <laughs> no on going. Pun intended. You really didn't mean that. That was pretty good, Joey. Spanish bullfighter Marco Galen took a horn to the scrotum during a bullfight last weekend in Madrid. Galen's left testicle was eviscerated. Now, here's the thing. I, I want to be honest. I didn't I have no clue what eviscerated means. Do you it know means what that means? Punctured. 
No, actually, it means evaporate. It means the stuff remove, came out of it. It means to remove the entrails of or disembowel. <laughs> it means it came. The stuff came out of the, of the testicle. Right. Oh. So the the horn hooked it and pulled it. Oh, okay, that's enough. Galen's left testicle was eviscerated by the bull, which also dragged Galen and tossed him in the air, according to news reports. He says, my testicle was ripped open. I kind of wanted to read it in like a Spanish accent. Like my testicle Libre. was ripped open, um, he told me. It wasn't a great moment for me. Bad for Galen, but worse for the bull, which went on to be killed, Humane Society International spokeswoman Wendy Higgins said in the statement. It's really important that we maintain a sense of perspective, and whilst acknowledging that one man losing a testicle is a bad injury, those who taunt and injure and kill bulls for fun, do so at their own risk, Higgins said. They have a choice of whether or not to enter the bull ring, and bulls do not. So my question to you That's guys is... That's a good is, point. Yeah, That's right. I mean, That's terrible I guess I actually they kill believe, that bull. That's awful. Yeah. I like, think, think we all agree with that, right? Yeah, that's terrible. That makes no sense at all. Like, okay, the bull has entered into a competition, a fight right. with whatever. So that's like saying, that's like giving Steve Nash the ball and say, you're a basketball player, but if you make a basket or win the game, you're done. Yeah. No, if you I succeed, agree. then you, you die. Yeah, I totally. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I think it's just rotten that if, if the bull gets the best of you, it gets killed. Like yeah, that makes right. no sense. I mean, you're, you're, the whole point is that it's dangerous, and you go in there and you're lauded as a hero for making the bull run through your little cape or red whatever. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't understand that. But I have to believe, Joe. You think that was the right thing, right? Like you think any animal that runs towards yeah, you, you should be put it. down. Now the, it's got to um, be your bull if you stick your head up a butcher's ass. Some somebody can check this out, but I think it's Ernest Hemingway or some other writer said the only true sports are ones that you can die in. That's the only thing that means sports. So he said bullfighting, rock climbing, and car racing are the only real sports because your life is. Oh, on okay, the line. yeah. Let's let's disrespect Dale Earnhardt. No, okay, he said cool. race. No, we're saying race car driving. Oh, you did say race. I said car race car driving, driving rock climbing, and bullfighting are like the only real sports. He said. What about Apollo Creed? Moving on. This also comes from my good friends at the Huffington good Post. Good Lord, this please was, uh, just diversify. <laughs> please diversify. Well, I thought this was interesting here. Pitt, Gosh, Post and Courier, Pittsburgh, which Matt and I have had spent some time there. Oh yeah, I've never been to Pittsburgh. It, well, it's not the greatest vacation spot or a place that you would want to raise a family. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Pitts, Pittsburgh bus slogan nixed because it's a racial slur when read backwards. You can't even say racial slur. Racial slur. My dad can't say Rolls Royce, so I think that's part of it. He goes, Roy Rush. Um, <laughs> the Port Authority of Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, is changing a longtime slogan on its buses after commuters complained it spells out a racial slur when read backwards. The slogan... Ziggin' Zaggin' <laughs> has been wrapped around nine buses since 2003. No one had a problem with it until a few days ago when a driver noticed the slogan in a rearview mirror and complained to the officials. It seems that when read backward, Ziggin' Zaggin', it looks like N-I-G-G-A-Z or N-I-G-G-I-Z. Read that way, it could be perceived as a racially insensitive and more than half of the bus riders are African-Americans countrywide, according to the Pittsburgh Courier. So now I want to ask you guys, is that just the political correct crowd just complaining too much? I mean, the, it, they were trying to say zigging and zagging. Mm -hmm. They were not saying anything racial. So, 
I mean, do you have any sympathy for people in that sense, or empathy, or whatever that might be? Do you do you have anything because something could be read backwards Is, that way? Are these white people upset, or are these black people, or what? This was a, I believe, an African American bus driver that looked in a rear view mirror, rear view mirror, and saw that it. I guess, that in my backwards. opinion, that's that's when you and I, as white guys, we don't we don't need to have a say. I mean, why why would we want to be like, oh yeah, that's ridiculous? We we don't know. That's a, it, that is that, a very good a privilege awareness answer, Joey. Very good, Matt. What do you think? Uh, I'm just glad nobody listens to this podcast backwards because it's all white power messages. Right. If you totally. do that, so <laughs> if don't you play do this it. podcast yeah. backwards, this you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, for me, I just think, come on. Nobody at all meant anything racial here, so why do we have to make it racial? That that's when I don't like it. If something's racial, like yeah, let's let's talk about it. But why would we bring attention to this? Yeah, but if there, it's not, there's people that have Confederate flags because they're proud of the it, South but, and they don't mean anything. But that's by a Confederate it. flag. Yeah, I can at least understand that. But this is somebody writing no zigging zagging. There's no intentions behind it. No, there's no intentions behind it. But there is racial tension attached to that no matter what but just a word i mean i, I like seriously i mean uh, you don't what, what, but toby you don't do you good to fight against that so you just got you just move you're right what well, you can't have an argument to bring back zig and zagging campaign no I, that's what i'm saying <laughs> i don't even care that's why i don't like it is that the fact that i think most people don't probably would say this is silly I mean, I, I do believe most people, regardless of your race, take my prediction here that we—it's fine. You got to go along with all this stuff in a general way, but we will be past this in a number of years to where it, things will just be more relaxed. It won't always go one direction on this. I'm not saying the counter direction is to be insensitive, but at some point we'll be less sensitivity sensitive, and things things will just go back. Uh, there'll be less of a PC time this is a, a very heightened time of it and it'll probably increase for a while but in the long run in our lifetimes or children's lifetimes we'll be like oh yeah that was when we were all everybody was all been out of shape all the time we'll, we'll, we'll move like in a better more, direction but for now you just got to let those things go we'll all be more like chris rocks around here maybe yeah. so so anyway i do feel bad like for quite a while i've had Yekno written on the side of my van and it kind of i feel bad so i'm gonna take that off because if you look in your river mirror it says honky <laughs> What's yetno mean? Yekno is honky backwards. I, well, I know that, but why would? Why you was it on your van in the, the first place? I mean, saying you, everyone, keep neat on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the damn news with Toby Morrell, not Joey Svensson. Oh, I was a part of that. No, you were not. I was a part of that. No, you were not, my friend. I okay. will. I do well, not get, claim that. Get it edited. Then. Don't claim it. Get it edited. I don't claim it. Get it edited. Edited. Get it edited. Engineer Brett, can you hear me? Bob the Builder and can, Engineer oh, Brett. Hold on. Engineer Brett, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Anything that Joey said on this podcast, please delete it. <laughs> <laughs>